Well, tēnā koto katoa. No America hono te tematanga, ko te toku manga, ko waitaki toku awa, ko ototahi toku kainga inaine, heroia toku tunga mahi o Perryfield lawyers, ko Stephen motoku ingoa noreira nami hi kia koto katoa. Um, hey, it's really wonderful to welcome you all to this session. Um, Aislin and I here are very excited to have you joining our second Real Founders Stories. And um, we are looking forward to sharing with you, and not us sharing, actually hearing the insights from our three wonderful guests. Um, so uh, we are happy to be coming to you from Ototahi Christchurch, but I know there's people from across the country um, who have who've joined us here. Um, so I'm gonna pass to Aislinn to share a little bit about the background and why are we doing this? Yeah, great. Well, thank you, Stephen. So um, as Stephen mentioned, my name's Aislinn and I work um, with him with lots of our startup um, clients and companies. Um, and basically we've found that you know, running your own startup, it's really exciting, but for some people, it can be quite a lonely journey and you don't always know, you know, you can hear all the good news stories about everyone else and that is really good, but you don't always hear about the struggles that people have behind the scenes. Um, so we thought it would be great just to create a space where people can share a little bit about their stories, um, to, to put it out there in the opens that people, you know, either those that are in the startup world at the moment, they can get a sense of actually they're having similar experience to what I've, I've got at the moment, um, or just to help those that are thinking about diving into this world, that it would give them a real insight into what they can actually expect um, and know that things aren't falling apart if and when those roadblocks do come up because they know it's part of the normal process. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the reason why we're doing it. Um, and we've, yeah, like Stephen said, it's our second one so far but we're trying to do them maybe every quarter or so. Um, yes, maybe. <laughs> when, when, we, when we can arrange it. Yes. <laughs> it's a very informal schedule. But I think um, we did the first one, was it in May, I think. And during Tech Week. Yeah, it was during Tech Week. And we have had a bunch of people write to us afterwards and say, wow, that was actually really helpful. So um, we're also going to be taking the audio from this and making it into an episode of Seeds so that more people can can listen um, and through that, you know, the beauty of technology is that there can potentially be hundreds of people who then are able to listen, um, even if they can't join us on the day. And then just um, before Islin passes over to um, each of our founders, really briefly, um, we, we come from a law firm called Perryfield Lawyers, for those of us who don't know us, um, we've got about 80 people based here in Christchurch. And for Aislinn and I, we have a real focus on startups and hopefully helping to empower that ecosystem that we can support and grow and actually improve the overall, not to make it too grandiose, but improve society through what the startups are doing, who they're employing, what they're making or creating. So that's the background. Yeah. Great. Well, enough about us. Let's turn to our speakers. Um, so if the three of you, maybe if we just start with Elise, but if you could just um, do a brief intro to people, you know, two or three minutes just about um, what you do, the company you're involved in, um, that would be great. Thank you. Sure thing. Uh, yeah, kia ora ko Elise Takuingua, ko Mahurangi Te Awa, uh, ko Walkworth Aho. 
um, and now currently residing in Ōtautahi Christchurch. Um, I'm from Menuhage behind me here, but I am the co-founder and co-CEO. Um, before I introduce myself, I encourage anyone that feels comfortable to turn your camera on. Uh, it just makes it a way nicer experience for everyone because we can see you and kind of interact with you, but no worries. And if you're eating lunch, great. I would be too if I could. Um, but yeah. Love to see your faces if we can. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, awesome. So, yeah, I, as I mentioned, I'm from MenuAid. So, essentially, MenuAid is a meal planning platform. Um, we solve the what's for dinner dilemma with personalized recipes and a smart shopping list. So, what that looks like for our users is it's a $4 per week subscription that you pay um, and you get five delicious new seasonal recipes um, coming at you each week. Um, yeah, MenuAid's been around for just over a year. We just had our year birthday last month um, and we're sort of in this phase of finding product market fit, rapid growth. Um, we've had our first seed round, which was awesome. Um, and yeah, now we're building out our team and kind of going through that next phase. So yeah, happy to talk more, but I'll hand the mic over. Great, thank you. Um, Nathan, you've got your mic off. So do you want to go next and just explain about who you are and what you're involved in? Sure, so my name's Nathan. I'm a co-founder and CEO at a company called, called Partly. Um, Partly, um, is on a mission to connect the world parts. Uh, we do that by building the uh, global digital infrastructure for uh, for automotive parts cataloging. Um, sounds like a very niche uh, niche topic and niche business in some aspects uh, it is. Um, but essentially we're building the uh, the digital infrastructure for a $1.9 trillion industry. So it actually accounts for about 3% of GDP. So sounds niche, but actually, um, not something people think about, but there's a lot of money spent in this area. So, um, yeah, that's me. Great, thank you. And last but not least, Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, absolutely. So I'm Sarah Grant. I'm co-founder and managing director of Magic Beans Community Limited. We're an impact-based startup working to change the way the food system works in the world through providing a niche social network and platform to encourage and inspire people to grow more of their own food at home and to facilitate the swapping and sharing of their surplus homegrown produce and gardening supplies within their local community. So all about um, hyper-local food production and sharing and community connection, human health and wellbeing, biodiversity, climate change, uh, emissions reductions and things like that. So we've got a really strong um, copapa and a really strong vision and mission for what we're doing. And um, yeah, uh, and we are at the stage of having a beta in market at the moment. It's not our custom app. That'll be built soon. Uh, my house is actually on the market at the moment to fund the development of our app, which is exciting and scary at the same time. And uh, yeah, and we've got about 5,000 users uh, nationwide. We've been running in Hawke's Bay for uh, just about seven years now. And it works as a beautiful system uh, to connect people and inspire, you know, much more hyper-local food production and growth. So yeah, that's us in a nutshell. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And I think what what the listeners will have picked up is that there's a real diversity here of, of companies and, and also stages. Um, that was something that we really wanted to get across is that there's different stages. So Sarah, you know, in terms of capital raising and, you know, getting the structures right and things, you're at a relatively early stage. And at least you're probably a bit further on the journey, having done some raising and employing people now, and you know you've got leasing premises. And then Nathan, you're even a bit further down the stage in terms of the size of what you're doing and the you know 
the global reach that you're having. So I think it's really good just to acknowledge that we've got a diversity of founders and we really value your time and, and appreciate your being here. Um, so at least, can we start with you? I'm just wondering, you know, you were on an episode of Seeds. So if people are interested, I might put in the chat the link to that because that was your whole hour long life story. Um, but if you could go back, you know, my typical time machine question and, and bearing in mind that we're trying to be, um, honest with each other in terms of things that we wish that we'd known, or um, I, I always feel bad asking this because actually you have to go through things to know and learn from it. But having said that, if there's some people on this call, you know, if you could go back in a time machine, say two years, what are some of the things, what are some of the stories or some of the things that um, you, you would like to impart to someone who's at the beginning of their founder journey? Uh, okay, great question. I think oh, a few things come to mind. One would be that Google can really answer a lot of your questions. <laughs> um, there's a lot of the World Wide Web is incredibly helpful. Um, and that kind of follows on from the realization of uh, you don't know everything and you don't need to know everything um, to do a startup or to start a small business or whatever you want to do, you don't need to know everything, but there is lots of resources out there and things that can make it a heck of a lot easier. Um, and yeah, what's else? I think to reach out sooner as well and ask for help um, right from the start as well is a really good idea. Just get, there's so many people, especially in New Zealand, it's an awesome ecosystem. I rave about it in the Seeds podcast, but the support of the startup system is so good. So just reach out and ask people for help and um, yeah, bounce ideas off them. Probably mine. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Thank you. Is there? Can you give an example of something that, after asking the simple question, you realize it was easier than you thought, or, you know, like what's something that sticks out? If you want to think about it, we can go to maybe. Yeah, Nathan. let me think on it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. So Nathan, do you want to share a little bit about what you wish you'd known? Um. I know you were involved also in um, All Goods before partly as well. So it could be, you know, the different things that you've been involved in. What, what's your kind of key take-homes you wish you'd known? So uh, advice to early founders, that the way I normally answer this question is to think bigger generally. Um, if you're going to start a business or, or any kind of startup, you're going to put 110% of your effort into it. So you might as well be putting into something that is pretty grandiose and ambitious, um, you know, where, the, where there's an even higher potential upside. Um, I don't think the outcome, uh, the potential outcome uh, changes, to be honest, uh, as to whether it's a 10x vision or a 1x vision. Um, second to that is probably, probably getting the best. Um, in terms of employees, advisors, and investors, I think that um, it's possible to find the best people in your industry to to assist in, in whatever way um, possible. Um, and I think that kind of ties into the the thinking big thing um, that it's is actually a lot easier than 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 most people think to to attract some pretty talented people. Mm. It's really good. Thank you. And how about for you, Sarah? Any um, advice to yourself a couple of years ago? <laughs> yeah, I would say um, the biggest thing is expect everything to take longer than you thought it would. Um, 
it's it's a it's a journey it's a roller coaster sometimes you'll have five amazing things happen in a whole week and you feel like you're on top of the world and sometimes you know you just have um uh, several months where everything feels like it's kind of just not really working and you're treading water and you're not going there so hang in there be tenacious believe in what you're doing um and just really just stick it out like you you've got to have that stickability and that um that desire to just push through the times when things feel like they're all going wrong to get to the times when everything feels like it's going right. If you give up when you're in a down cycle, then you're not going to ever get back up into that up cycle. So yeah, just um, be patient, be resilient. Um, and also, I, you know, I took what um, Elise has said and Nathan about getting good people around you. Um, we've done a lot of reaching out to amazing people like yourselves. Um, so we've got some service providers who, who help us professionally. We've got some advisors. We've just got our first um, investors recently, and they're actually a wonderful couple up in Auckland who saw us on the news last year, and they approached us to invest, which is absolutely unheard of and amazing. You know, that's such a, a big um, defining moment for us. But um, that sort of thing is 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 not, I wouldn't expect that normally. Um, but yeah, for, for sure, it's just be resilient, be determined, get stuck in there and, and push through. Mm. Do you think there were things that helped you to stick through those difficult times? Yeah, I think um, the, the bigness of our mission, the, um, the importance of what we're doing and knowing that without what we're doing, there's a whole lot of people in the world that will suffer unnecessarily if we don't succeed. So it's having a personal feeling of, you know, a huge desire and a need to succeed to help people and to help the world as a whole. So that's, it gets me out of bed in the morning and it, it makes sure that I'm focusing every day on what we need to get done and making sure that we do it right so that we're in the best possible position to succeed. And Sarah, your, your one is a, a very kind of unusual in startups in the sense of it is so impact and purpose driven. How do you ensure that that continues as a theme or as, as a big part of your business? Because it is a, you know, profit driven society that we operate in. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually, um, when we wrote our constitution and shareholders agreements with you guys, we actually made sure that that was embedded in our, our founding documents. Um, and, and, and that tells the story to other people that we'll bring along on our journey with us, other investors. And it's also a public declaration that what matters most to us is not earning billions. It's making a sustainably profitable business to make the greatest impact that we can. It's not just so that we can buy super yachts and you know go on holidays wherever we want to. That's very much counter to what we're doing this for. And yeah, I think that's... Well, I'd like to run the same line of questioning through Nathan and Elise, because I know for the both of you as well, you know, I've, I've talked with both of you at length about this sort of topic. So uh, maybe turning back to you, Elise, um, yeah, can you give us your thoughts on that? Because I know that you had studied nutrition at university. You know, this is kind of now an outworking of all that you've studied and, and also helping people make good nutrition decisions as well, right? Yeah, definitely. This is a huge, um, startup is a huge passion project for me. I guess, yeah, as you mentioned, I studied nutrition at university and I came out feeling quite lost on, like, there's a lot to learn. I had to spend four years to learn it and I just learned the tip of the iceberg. Like, how can we expect our society who's struggling with nutrition and well-being, how can we expect everyone to understand it and make good choices? So I sort of left feeling a little bit lost. 
um, and melded over for a few years. And then, yeah, Toby and I came up with the idea of Menu 8. Um, and I was like, this is the perfect way for me to access as many people as possible with really straightforward recipes that they can cook for their families and support their families with. And I, my whole, like, mantra I guess around nutrition is that it just doesn't need to be complicated and it should be something that is enjoyed and that brings people back into the kitchen with you know ease and enjoyment and all the things that come with it so um and then yeah when Nathan was talking about hiring good people like a fundamental part of our hiring process is what what's your driver for being here and, and everyone is really motivated about making nutrition the forefront of well-being for New Zealanders and in the globe um, and everyone's so driven about yeah putting the customer first. So uh, that's the same with our investors. They had to be customer obsessed. Like uh, yeah, everyone for us is, has to be customer and well-being obsessed. So I guess that's how we roll it out. Thank you. And Nathan, how do you? Um, how does Partly really stick to the mission and the purpose of, of what you're about? So I think there's two aspects um, to this question. Um, the first is how our business um, has a purposeful uh, impact on the world. Um, and there's a few ways that we do that. Um, one is uh, through increasing a lot of efficiencies throughout the past supply chain, which essentially eventually results in a lot of uh, recyclability um, and has some pretty significant environment, environmental impacts um, as a part of that. Um, but more so, uh, to be honest, us as founders um, have always been very uh, influenced by effective altruism, um, in particular reduction of poverty um, and how we can uh, do the most good um, for, uh, for the amount of money um, spent. Um, so um, we're certainly very uh, profit driven, um, but directing that profit um, in, the right, in the right direction. Mm. That's really good. So I'm just curious, um, Nathan, we'll stay with you, I think. You've given lots of interviews. You know, you've been asked lots of questions. What are the questions that the interviewers don't ask you or the bits that, you know, um, don't doesn't get talked about? Because I'm just conscious. I, we've all been to pitch events. We've all been to look at how amazing this startup is. We've read the headlines. Wow, they just raised this amount, um, the celebration side of things. But what what would be the question or what, what should we be asking you to really unlock for another founder? What are some key principles that they could take? Um, yeah, it's, an, it's, an, it's a good question. Um, I think that, I guess, I'll, I'll, you're probably right in that most interviews and podcasts and, and, and webinars and things are, are largely focused around the more recent developments in a company, um, generally centered around some kind of press release or, or, or announcement. Um, so I guess what's less talked about is those early days of, of founding a startup. Um, and to talk a little bit about our journey, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of that classic startup story of, uh, you know, starting in a, we started in a, in a, in a garage and caravan and then eventually rented a, rented a property to, to have our, have our uh, business in there before finally moving into a co-working space. And, and the first three years were hard. Um, you know, I, I personally don't know that I could, could do it today. Um, after I guess, uh, experiencing um you know further further experience in, in my career and things like that um you know it was you know three years of no salary 
um, spent all my savings um, down to down to everything, down to borrowing money um, before eventually um, shutting down the business and, and moving to a different business. So um, it was, um, you know, it was pretty hard. Um, and during the time, obviously, I think you put on a pretty, most founders put on a pretty, um, uh, I guess, I don't want to say a brave face, like, I mean, like, you know, a pretty uh, outward looking, very positive um, perspective. Um, and, and it was always positive, you know, it was it was always very exciting. I mean, I don't obviously don't regret any of it. And I had to kind of go through all of that to get to where we are today. But I guess it's those three years of of uh, of difficulty that, that doesn't get talked about very much. Mm. So it's interesting. <laughs> no, no, no. But this is this is why we're doing this. This is why we want to have these conversations. And that's why we specifically have chosen who we've got on the panel. So if you're willing or, you know, like if you could go back in a time machine, it sounds like you might not want to go through what you're, you've gone through. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit or, yeah, go wherever you're comfortable. But I think this is really valuable and helpful, even probably for someone like Sarah who she was just saying she's about to sell her house so that she can fund her startup, you know, like this is real life, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, put a, put a lot on, put a lot of risk. Um, it's, it is very high risk, um, but high reward, obviously. Um, if I could go back, I mean, I wouldn't do it today, but I wouldn't change anything. Um, and obviously if I was to do it today, I probably made a lot of those mistakes. And um, I think that the, going back you know or, or I guess some kind of advice would be to try to learn quicker um my personality is probably uh to be too too uh hold be too stubborn potentially um which is a good thing in some aspects and if you're a really stubborn person then maybe try to get a co-founder who's who's a little bit more faster to to change and and switch um and and adapt um to situations um, because I think that we could have learned what we learned in three years and, and maybe 18 months um, if we if we had adapted quicker. Mm. No, that's great. Thank you. I, I think you're right. I mean, all of us bring our our whole selves to our ventures, don't we? And and I think the curiosity and willingness to change is is a massive part of learning quickly. So Sarah, listening to um what Nathan's saying, have you got any reflections or thoughts? And and the reason I'm asking you is because it is it is like super real for you right now, because I know that you're literally, you're selling your house, right? So yeah, yeah. any reflections? Yeah, so um, two things really. Um, one is that, you know, Nathan's right, you do put on a bit of a public persona, you tell the good stories and you kind of hide the, the ones that go, oh, make you go, oh, we messed that up on things. Fortunately, we don't actually have a lot of those to talk about ourselves, but, um, it, you know, you're people behind it and, and you've got a lot going on. Like I'm a parent to two little girls and uh, I've just recently gone through a divorce and things like that. And people don't really understand that life is more than just your business. And sometimes you have to, weigh that balance really carefully in order to get through and um, there's been several times when my beautiful co-founder Annalisa Hoff and I have um, you know gone through cycles of, of burnout during this journey and we've only been doing it for a little over 18 months um, and that's because we put all of ourselves into it and I think you really have to look after yourselves um, as people when you go through this journey but you are putting everything on the line um, 
to do this. Um, and the other thing that Nathan uh, spoke about, which I want to address, is uh, co-founders. I am um, very lucky to have an incredible uh, co-founder who just matches me perfectly in terms of uh, diversity of skills, um, aligned values and aligned vision, but um, differences in approach to how we do things. Uh, she's a very gentle, warm, um, kind, loving soul, and I'm a very kind of an analytical, I wouldn't say I'm not kind and warm and loving and things, but she's <laughs> definitely more that side of things, and I'm more, um, potentially more sort of logical, systems orientated, detail orientated and things, and so we actually have really complementary skills and roles within what we do, um, and that is extremely important for us, and we both said to each other on a number of occasions, we could not have got this far, and we could not take this into the future if we didn't have each other. Oh, that's really good. Thank you, Sarah. Um, Elise, would you like to share a little bit, you know, either either with regard to, um, you know, looking back on it or would you go through it again, but also just the role of having a co-founder and, and how that plays out with the two of you? Yeah, sure. I think um, I'm not quite at the stage to like reflect back and say, would I do it again? Because I still feel very early days. Um, I've only been doing this full time since January. So I think like, would I do it again? Absolutely, because it's where I am right now. But yeah, maybe if I was Nathan in a few years down the track, I might have a few few greys slipping in. So um, I might say a different story. But um, in terms of, yeah, co-founders is exactly what I wrote down um, when you said that, Nathan, and then Sarah echoed it, which was just, it's a, such a good point to raise that it's like, so I guess my co-founder story is it's my, my life partner, <laughs> my boyfriend before anything else, um, Toby. And he set up his own um, business before MenuAid, which was called Mutu. And he was a sole founder of Mutu and found it incredibly hard. Um, it was a really lonely journey. And even though he and I are really close, we've been together for eight years or so, I, I had never experienced startups and I could never understand what he was going through. And um, so, I yeah, and now we're working on it together. And it's exactly what Sarah was mentioning with Annalise, like the balance the yin and the yang is really important and I I sort of it's the classic um I don't know but it's classic me to just like self um doubt and imposter syndrome and all these things that come into play and I'm always comparing myself to Toby because I just think he's like super intelligent and really strong and all these things which I just yeah um struggle with myself which is stupid um but and so I think it was not until um, I had a feedback session with one of our employees and she was like, don't change what you've got because it's the yin and the yang that's really important. It's the like empathetic side, the people-centric side of me that's really strong and that shows off with our customers. Um, but then it's Toby's like business sense and analytics and all these sorts of things that's really important as well. So um I mean, Nathan's got many more founders in their founding team, um, but yeah, we're just two founders and find it incredibly important to have that yin and yang and to have really strong communication. Otherwise, it can get really tough. So um, yeah, that's that's my two cents worth on co-founders. Definitely do it, but find the right one. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really helpful because we do meet some people um, who are on their own. You know, they're founding something and it is a choice um, and it can be a hard road if it's just you staying up late every night, you know, <laughs> having that co-founder relationship. Um, and it's interesting, actually, we hadn't done this on purpose, but the reality is that all three of you 
are you know founding things but with other people rather than it just being it's your own baby you know that this is just your thing um so that's quite interesting and i guess for those listening the question would be if you're about to found something or if you're on that journey then is it worth considering and and bearing in mind what you said elise as well it's it's actually good to have people who are different to you because you can then complement each other sometimes yeah. yeah slightly on the flip side though we have seen situations where say there have been multiple founders and then you know halfway mm-hmm. through the journey one of them's had to leave because you know no longer aligned vision or just not a good fit for them anymore um did the three of you go through any sort of thought process I mean slightly different for you Elise given that you're already with Toby but you know <laughs> was there any thought about um how to make that decision to kind of jump on in together with this you know setting up this startup and and knowing whether or not it would be a good fit or yeah it, it, do you have any comments about those um yeah oh, sorry oh, sorry Annalisa you go Okay. Um, I think ours was pretty easy and it kind of evolved over time for us because we already had the relationship and knew each other quite well. So it was a little bit easier. I think it took a bit longer to convince me to get into startup land. Um, Toby was already in there, so it was a bit easier. Um, And then I guess, yeah, to protect yourself from the like fallout of founders, you've just got to have really good lawyers (laughs) um, like yourselves and get some good agreements in place so that if things do go wrong um then you've you've protected yourself and the business as much as you can but that's probably about all I can offer on that right Sarah did you have some thoughts yeah I do um so Annalisa and I um have actually been doing magic beans together for nearly seven years so and that's been as a just a community group here in Hawke's Bay locally so we um, we really didn't know each other that well for that length of time because we would mostly just touch base whenever there was something that needed a discussion about how we ran the group or the tone we set and things like that. Um, so we actually hadn't had a lot of time to spend together over those uh, seven years. But uh, Annalisa went away overseas and changed her career into digital product uh, design. And when she came back to Hawke's Bay during covid uh, she had had very similar thoughts as to what I'd been having on, um, you know, taking the Magic Beans philosophy and concept out to the world to to really increase our impact of what we're able to do. And uh, she said to me one day, hey, you know, I want to come around and have a chat to you about where we're going with this. Uh, and I said, sure thing. And she sat down at my kitchen table and, and said to me, hey, what do you think about, you know, maybe making Magic Beans into an app? And I was like, you've been reading my mind. And uh, it, we had a deeper discussion about, you know, making sure that, you know, we did all of our due diligence and our research and things on the product and, you know, its potential in the marketplace. But we also learned a lot about each other during those early discussions on whether this was actually a viable concept to, to take into a, an impact-based business. And we we we'd known each other and we've been friendly for this period of time but not really well and we didn't understand a lot about each other's backgrounds and skill sets and and, you know we knew each other's personalities and stuff reasonably well but those other things we just really didn't understand about each other and so once we found out that we had such complementary skills and such complementary personalities um not not similar but definitely you know able to um, work together really effectively um then we saw that this had such potential and that we needed to um to be together and to work together on this and i think it's um you know it hasn't always been smooth sailing as a co-founder relationship we have had um some differences of opinion on the ways forward and things like that but it's actually been like i you know i 
me, I'm the stubborn one, and uh, Annalisa is the, the rational, well, actually, I'm rational too, but um, she's the one that is um, prepared to face conflict when I go, oh, conflict. Um, and so she will actually raise to me, hey, you know, we actually really need to have a decent discussion about this. And I so value that. Like, it's so important to have those difficult discussions. It raises your um, level of, of compassion and understanding with each other to a level where you actually stop having those difficult discussions because you sort of intrinsically know how to relate to each other a lot better. So, yeah, it's um, it's extremely important for me to to be able to have that, that close relationship with Annalisa and to be, yeah, on the same page communications-wise. Mm, that's really great. Thank you for sharing that because I think this is this is super vital. Like if you're not enjoying your your um, co-founder relationship, it's not going to be worth doing at all. Um, Nathan, I'd love to continue riffing off of this theme with you as well. Um, and I oh, just, maybe just before I say that, it is possible, you know, because sometimes you um, you you sign a term sheet or you have a relationship that you think is going to work out. Everyone gets the champagne glasses out. Yes, this is going to be successful. But three months in, six months in, a year later, things actually do change sometimes. So just to have dropped in the note that it, it, it can be good to have things like shareholders agreements where everybody's committing to the business. You can have things like vesting arrangements, like here's what you're going to do. Here's your role. So just remember that as well as a little gloss on what we're talking about. But Nathan, continuing with the personal stories, I, I did interview Levi like a while ago now. So I know about a bit of his journey. And I know that the two of you had known each other basically in childhood, right? Um, do you want to just explain your own dynamic? And yeah, we'd love to learn from you. So uh, there is a few things I want to say about this topic. Um, the first is that if, I mean, we've talked a lot about the advantage of having co-founders, but I think that it's probably very difficult for someone who is a solo founder starting a business to then find a co-founder because I think that the, the the deep relationship and strong relationship has to be there. And that's difficult to build, particularly if the two founders have not arrived on the same vision um, and mission um, together. Um, so uh, just definitely something to be wary of. Um, people talk a lot about uh, the co-founder relationships and also investor relationships uh, being akin to marriage. I'm not married, so I can't attest to that. Um, <laughs> but it is definitely a very, a very close relationship. Um, and so also a couple other things to say on this topic is I am definitely a believer in having um, those strong splits and clear splits and responsibilities. Um, I know it can be done to have co-CEOs um, as in Elisa's um, case. Um, that wouldn't work in, in our business. Um, and, and as such, I also don't believe in having equal equity splits um, in most cases, because I think it's very rare that founders are, are contributing the, the same amounts. And I think that um, it's better to avoid conflict and, or, or, and those sorts of things. So, I mean, and that comes down to, um, I think, one uh, one definite recommendation following off of what you said, Stephen, is, is definitely, definitely, definitely have, have vesting arrangements and, and shareholders agreements. Um, not necessarily a shareholders agreement, could be something a little bit more simple than that um, from day one, um, but definitely something in writing and, 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 um, and clear sort of arrangements between um, whoever's um, founding the company. 
Um, in terms of my own personal situation, yes, Levi and myself have known each other from from childhood, have very different perspectives, um, very different um, skills and, and, and approaches um, to things. Um, I, I'm probably a little bit more um, operational and 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 system uh, orientated and and that sort of thing, whereas he's very much um, very much uh, technical and and um, uh, approaches things moving very quickly and things like that. So and there's definitely a lot of complementary skills there, which I think is important to 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 have in that relationship. So following on from what other people have said. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I want to stay with you, Nathan, because I do have another, this is diverging to a different topic. Um, and I'm conscious of time as well. We want to keep respect everybody's time, but I want to get as much content as we can out of your brains and into everybody else. And there's a topic that you and I, we were riffing off and chatting about actually at at least at your office opening. And that was the topic of work-life balance. And I'm just wondering, because I know that you and I are aligned on this, so I'm not going to steal your thunder because we had a good discussion, but can you just tell us a little bit about your thoughts about work-life balance or, and I'm using the inverted commas for those um, quotes who are, who are not watching. Um, I don't like the term <laughs> work-life balance. Um, for me personally, um, and I know that there's, there's kind of a, a controversial sort of topic and people have different, or different opinions on this. Um, I, I I think I think I think um, you coined the term, Stephen, work-life integration. You know, it's it's about how how they they work together. Um, I I think for me personally, it's not really possible. I think it's a it's a futile effort to try and and say, hey, look, okay, when I'm at home, I'm not going to be thinking about the business because it's it's so such a big part of my life. So I think it's more about how do you actually. You know, how do you integrate that into your life that in a way that's healthy? Um, you know, I think that 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 um, that the most healthy way is probably not some kind of like direct split between the two, like separating out your work and, and your life. But how do you integrate that in a healthy way that that doesn't cause burnout? Thank you. Yeah. Do you have some examples of how you actually do that? What does that look like in practice for you? Yeah. Um, so. I think that, I think one part of that is is obviously um, having healthy relationships with with co-founders and people in the business, and like definitely um, that 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 involves talking about things outside of work, um, right? So when you're when you're catching up with co-founders, I think someone brought this up earlier. Like I think it's also really important to have one-on-ones with your co-founders, um, or, or, or well throughout the entire business, um, even if you know, it's your CEO, COO, or, or whatever it is, um, you need to have regular one-on-ones that are uh, 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 scheduled um, and you go through your topic, you document it, and you talk about, you know, personal things um, as well as just work-related things. You know, it's about having those those healthy relationships. So I guess uh, people talk about the concept of bringing your whole self to work. Um, you know, there's, you know, different ways that businesses approach that. Um, but definitely, you know, recognizing that people are people and not just, you know, outside of work as well. And that kind of, you know, people are more than more than just the business and about integrating in those those personal uh, issues that you might be going through um, and making making other people aware of those um, as well. Um, and then there's there's, I guess, just the the, the way that you do work. Um, and sometimes this, I mean, as founders, obviously, we have a bit more control over this, but how you how you uh, uh, 
how you set out your your working schedule with 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 staff we, we're very very flexible um on that um you know people want to work from home people want to work what hours it's it's up to up to them and i think that that helps a lot as to to how you integrate in 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 your life um in, in a in a healthy way um but it's it's somewhat um potentially i, I might be outnumbered on my opinions here anyway Cool. Well, shall we hear from Elise next to see what her views are on work-life balance? Yeah, sure. I love it. I think that work-life integration is, that's, I was trying, when you were asking the question, I was trying to think how I can answer this, but that integration is exactly is, is what comes to my mind as well. Um, I guess for Toby and I, it's quite a challenge and it's something that we actively work on because we do live together um and we've got the same friends and like our whole lives uh together and so we've had to set really clear boundaries um and also understand that we work on things differently like I really need to come home and just have time to like debrief and then that's actually when I get a lot of clarity and, and mull things over a lot um whereas if Toby hasn't had things done for the day he'll get on the couch and finish them um, and so we've had to, he can't like look over on the computer at me and be like, why aren't you working right now? Because <laughs> he's learned to understand that I am I am working, but it just doesn't look the same. Um, and that's the same for our whole team as well. Exactly what Nathan was saying is you just need to have flexibility around that. People's lives, people don't function best from nine to five. That's such old school thinking. Um, and there's so much more that goes on rather than just work. And even though, yes, you live and breathe your your work because it's your passion project and everything you can't expect the same from your employees um and so you need to set really clear boundaries around that um and yeah what are some tools that we use i'm trying to think of literal things that we do we ask um when we get home I actually learned this from kendall Flutie from banker because her and her husband work together as well um and she said that when we get home it's like if you walk in the door you stop talking about work but if you really need to talk about it, then you have to ask permission. <laughs> Sounds really <laughs> stupid, but you just have to say like, hey, do you, do you mind? Can I ask you about, can I talk about work right now? Can I ask you about something quickly? And equally so, the other person has every right to say no. If they're, you know, like if they're, if they're parked at the door, then you just write it down and talk about it the next day. Um, so that's really good. And then I also echo Nathan's one-on-ones. That's been something that we've introduced recently. Um, and it has been so important for us um it's really good for yeah each of us you have it with your manager but also yeah like toby and i have it as well um which is just really really good um yeah i think one-on-ones that just came into my mind one-on-ones with investors or like your board could also be really helpful too so that they can kind of see what's going on but it's not something that i've implemented but just a little brainwave um, but yeah that's my thoughts on work-life integration Great. And now to you, Sarah, what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, well, I'm not actually sure about the other two, but I think I might be the only parent on the panel. Yeah, um, it's tricky. I've got to say it's really tricky. Um, I actually, Elise is with me. We're on a program at the moment called the Abroad Founder Wellbeing Program, which is actually um, looking at exactly this sort of, you know, how you how are you managing your work-life integration so that you don't get to that stage of burnout, which I'm terribly guilty of, got there several times, um, and, and come back out the other side of it. And it's how, how to look after yourself as a person so that you can show up in the best ways 
not only for your business, but also for your life and not have either take over your your full focus or your full energy. Um, and that's fantastic about teaching you, you know, the, the tools to um, manage your stress and, and identify what's important and to, you know, reach out when you need it and to take time for yourself and look after yourself and all those really important things that everybody knows in practice um, that you're supposed to do, but you don't always make time for really puts puts it in perspective that you you have to do that to be successful both in business and in life um I think uh, yeah I think like Annalisa and I we're really compassionate with each other um and we we do take a lot of load off each other and we talk all the time about not only just business stuff and whenever business stuff comes up we're in constant comms um but also life stuff like I know what's going on in her life she knows what's going on in my life and if I'm not um you know not able to meet my deadlines for the week because it's school holidays um or because I've got a sick child or because of this that and the other thing other stresses in my life you know getting the house ready for market and all that sort of stuff Annalisa just picks up the slack and takes off some of the weight off my uh, shoulders. And then when she's going through some things, when she's traveling or when she's got some other projects on and things like that, then I pick up a bit of the slack there as well. So that's a really important way that we almost regulate each other's stress and um, and workloads in that way. And it's, it's you know, over the 18 months that we've been working really closely together and expanding Magic Beans um, to what we hope will be a global business that's something that we've just become quite natural at now um, now that we know so much about each other and we have so much information on each other's lives and stresses and goals and and personalities Mm. well those are all really helpful tips and tricks from each of you so thank you so much I think for me it's definitely been a process of coming to realize that it is about work-life integration and that is the term that I use and for me um it's about being the same authentic person wherever I am. So hopefully if you meet me on the weekend, I'm the same person as I am doing this talk, you know, this call and I'm the same person with my kids and I'm the same person, you know what I mean? Like that there's not an artificial sort of line. Um, so for me, you know, cause I'm a different type of startup founder, right? <laughs> Working as a partner in a, in a law firm, there's a lot of different, stresses and pressures and expectations and so I've had to learn that as well um I think yeah well I really appreciate all of these authentic willingness to share um I want to close out kind of as we're getting towards the end of our time just thinking about some practical ideas from you as founders when you're dealing with a venture capital firm or an investor or what's it been like for you any tips or thoughts in terms of how do you how do you go about with those relationships? You know, maybe how did you get your initial people interested in your business? Um, I don't know. Is, does anybody want to put up their hand to have some thoughts about that? I mean, Nathan, I am interested in your one because you started, you had another business and it was going, it was running pretty successfully. And then you deliberately self-destructed it to start your second business and continue on. Um Maybe slightly different question, but any thoughts from you? Yeah, I think I think uh, in some ways it's the same answer, and that uh, that comes back to my very first answer in this conversation, which is to think big. Um, you know, like, uh, and that that's the reason why we pivoted was that uh, the we weren't thinking big enough in the first business, or, or we we were thinking big, but our it became clear that we were going to be limited by the borders of of, of New Zealand. 
Um, and so therefore we, we pivoted into something that was much more scalable globally. Um, and, and that's the same answer to, to building relationships with investors. Um, now, there's many different types of investors, um, many different outcomes that they're looking for and the way that they structure their deals and so sort of things. But in particular for VC, they are looking for something very, very big. Um, and so you're not even going to get past the first conversation without um, without being able to sell that 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 the vision uh, and, and you have to have that vision you have to be you have to be ambitious um, and be building a, a very large um, business and be able to convince them that there is a small at least a small percent chance that you are actually going to be the person who's going to succeed in, in, in achieving that mission um, and obviously your relationship with with investors um, changes over time um, but essentially it's it's about being on that on that journey um, along with them, um, they're, you know, there to support you, um, there to help you succeed. Um, hopefully you, you choose investors that are aligned on achieving your mission. Um, if they're not aligned on achieving their mission, don't take the money. Mm. That's really good. And actually you mentioned before that you felt like you could, you could have learned not to continue or being stubborn, but I actually think you're a great case study of, a, of, a, a, a pair of founders who actually looked in the mirror and said, we need to pivot. We've got to do this differently. And I think that's at least something that some people listening may be able to take away from them is that you may think that you're going to be doing this. And then as you do more work research, you actually find that you need to pivot over and pursue something else, um, which which is okay. You know, that's not failure. That's we need to get over that you have to have the brilliant idea the first moment you um, you start your business because it can definitely pivot. Um, at least I don't know if you're able to comment on Toby and, and just with Mutu and what he, because he's had to do that as well, hasn't he? Recently they've pivoted. Any reflections on this sort of theme and and then also the investor point? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess on the pivot, uh, Nathan actually spoke to Toby Teets about it and supported him through it, which is Great. Again, it's just about asking your network and reaching out when you're going through, frankly, a really shitty time. Um, and his was tough. He was this. So Mutu was like a peer-to-peer rental platform, um, and then he had knocking on the door all these big organisations who wanted more like internal asset management, um, internal sharing, networking type situation. And so he sort of had three options in front of him, but knew that as two of them working on it. Uh, it was just wasn't feasible to to do all of them. Um, he put everything he had into the peer to peer, and ultimately it was um, necessary for a monumental societal shift, essentially, to get that thing off the ground and running. Um, and so it was actually just at the perfect time that he, thankfully, made the call to to do the switch um, and has gone all in on motor for business. Um, but at that point, he was. Just burnt out he had put everything he could into Mutu um, and thankfully another guy Ben came along um, originally as COO and then within a few weeks he was CEO and Toby had decided that he actually needed to exit from that business and he's now a director which is great because he can still have input um, and help out Ben on a day-to-day basis but he doesn't have to be the one um, grinding it out and kind of you, you are back at square one so um, yeah that's been a really interesting journey to watch um and yeah thanks Nathan for your support during that um I think on the investor side of things I agree uh, we 
we sort of limited ourselves on not thinking big enough to start with either. We went on originally for an angel round um, and uh, you'll speak to different founders about their experience with angel investors, but we didn't, frankly didn't have a good experience um, and they just didn't understand the mission and the vision. They didn't understand what we were trying to do with tech. Um, and yeah, so that was a real challenge for us. Um, and then thankfully we got accepted into the Sprout Accelerator program at the start of the year. So Sprout Agritech, they generally support food tech and agritech businesses. So we did their accelerator with them for three months. And throughout that process, we were able to get a really good personal relationship with the investors, which was so important. And it makes, when you're having really hard conversations with the investors, you also know about their family. You know, like, that they're actually a human. They're not just dollar bills. Like, And they, you know, like, that, that relationship was so much stronger and made it a lot, a lot better. Um, so yeah, you definitely need to have a really strong relationship with the investors because that you'll—that's like probably one of the easiest conversations you'll have. To be honest, like, is that getting that investment across the line? And then from then on, it's like they're your board, right? They—they become your board and who you're held accountable to. Well, for us, that was a situation. Um, and so now every board meeting, we're having difficult conversations, and I'm just thankful that we do have a really strong relationship that I can turn up and be like. I'm struggling today or I've really enjoyed this or this went really well or you can share the whole journey rather than having to be like just only selling them the dream um, and then also to maintain that relationship understand that your investors and your board aren't in your business day to day so they don't understand why all of a sudden you've made this big change and they probably will get a little bit stressed or frustrated if you don't bring them on the journey with you so keep them up to date um, and explain then explain things to them to help them maintain that relationship but yeah that's my that's my two cents worth mm -hmm. great thank you um now Sarah I don't know if you want to share but you know obviously you've had the um the luxury of having someone come and knock on your door and offer to be an investor um so do you want to talk a bit about you know how you decided whether or not to accept them and how that relationship works yeah absolutely so um, like I say we had um we had an amazing uh, private couple come to us uh, earlier this year uh, and based on a news article or a news um, snippet that was shown last year on Magic Beans, uh, they'd been watching us since that time, watching our socials, watching how we worked and what we were doing and the traction we were um, underway with and all that sort of thing. Um, and they felt a really strong value alignment with us and they approached us and, and wanted to help us move forward because they knew that money was one of the biggest barriers for us to be able to continue to grow and continue to develop and to get to where we want to be. So um, their initial offer for us was um, like lower than it eventually ended up being. And um, the, the kind of the catalyst for them increasing that offer of investment was um, me putting my house on the market. Um, and saying to them, well, you know, I'm really prepared to put, you know, almost everything I've got into the business to drive it forward. And they went, wow, you know, that's a recognition that you really honestly just believe in what you're doing and are prepared to put yourself on the line. And that they found that really inspiring. And they actually um, nearly doubled their original offer of investment um, in response to that. And it wasn't, it wasn't a strategic move on my behalf at all to try and achieve that outcome. It was just a, a sort of a natural flow. But, you know, I, we've, we've had lots of Zoom calls and things with them, really got to understand where they're at. Um, they, we could tell really early on with our conversations with them that they were just super amazing people that just totally believe in what we're doing and they want to make an impact in the world as well. Um, and on the investor space, like we originally, when we first started Magic Beans, we knew 
as a business, not as a, a group, um, we knew that we would need investment in order to be able to take Magic Beans International. And so we'd always thought that, or we thought for a number of months that we would be going for VC investment. And over time, that strategy has really flipped on its head. Um, we now know that, you know, with with our um, values, um, we know we're an attractive business in that sense. Um, and we, you know, all of our financial projections and things are, are showing really strong um, potential profit-wise, but like I said before, we're not in it to make billions of dollars um, or to be the next unicorn. We're in it to make the biggest impact we can. And to do that, we have to make money, but we're not making money to line the pockets of, of people. We're making money so that we can make a better world and provide some shareholder value at the same time. So for us, it actually really um, changed our, our investment uh, or our capital strategy going forwards. We're, we're now not looking for your traditional VC. Um, we're definitely uh, looking for impact-based VCs whose main goal is to make the biggest impact they can and also angel investors who are super well aligned. So we've actually put that in our um, in our constitution as well, that any shareholders coming into the business must be value aligned and we have our values in our constitution to be able to be super clear about who we are and what we're aiming to do and why. And um, yeah, I think it's it's really, really important for us that we do get the right investors on um, and we will be raising around next year after we launch our app New Zealand wide. Um, and so that's, you know, we're starting those conversations now with people in the impact investment space and with angel investors and, and just really um, starting to do that networking and starting to gain that credibility and reputation for being really thorough and really focused and really um, community uh, driven as well. So. Yeah, that's my thoughts on that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And yeah, we, um, we're we coming up to time now. So we just want to thank all three of you for sharing. I think this has been really valuable and it just shows why this is important to do because we need to develop an ecosystem where we talk openly, clearly and communicate well with each other. And I love the fact that, you know, at least you're saying thanks, Nathan, for your support on this thing. And, you know, that's that's what we need. We need a culture where we're actually helping each other to not just grow, but actually thrive. So it's really cool. And I loved hearing all of your examples, all of your stories. Um, if any of you are um, listening and you're interested in finding out more, we'll put links to each of these companies in a follow-up email and you can click and find out more about their story because I think these are examples of people that you can learn from. So thank you everybody for joining. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll send an, a follow-up email out um, once I've got it up as an audio episode of Seeds. If this has helped you, then it's a simple thing. Would you be willing to share about it on LinkedIn? Would you be willing to forward it to a friend? Would you be able to you know, tell someone over dinner? Hopefully this can be something that goes on and, and has a greater impact than, than purely the people on the call today. I've really learned a lot. I've appreciated your inputs and thank you for um, joining us today. So we're going to wrap it up there, but well done. Thank you, speakers. We really appreciate you. And thank you, everybody, for joining. Cheers. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. Bye. Bye.